Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. On this week's episode of Beyond the Wrench, I am really, really happy to have Lauren Mejia join me. Lauren is a BMW technician for MBI Motors and had some really interesting insight into our industry through the eyes of a technician. And I think our our listeners are really going to enjoy this because it comes from a place I think that is good, wanting to improve the industry, wanting to make the lives of technicians better. So Lauren, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jay. Good, good. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a, you're a technician. How, what got you interested in this business in the first place? Well, you know, I always had an interest in vehicles as a kid, and that extended, you know, well into high school. And I was fortunate enough to have an automotive program that still had a mentorship relationships with the dealerships in Portland, Oregon. So after doing three years of automotive uh, uh, classes in high school, I was able to qualify for an apprenticeship program through a dealership while I was still in high school. So I started job shadowing technicians when I was a senior in high school. And the rest is kind of history as far as that goes. I got pulled right in, spent 14 years between two BMW dealerships, and then also spent some time with a Audi Porsche dealership and a Jaguar Land Rover dealership before ultimately ending up at an independent shop where we service BMWs and Mercedes. Very cool. So how, how impactful was that initial mentorship in, in making you successful and, and kind of guiding you to where you are today? It was very important, I would say, towards my skill development, and also to just the success in the industry. You know, like we had previously spoken before, I was fortunate because even in the early 2000s, automotive tech programs in high school were very few and far between across the country. And I had, like I said, the opportunity to be able to get a foot in the door at a dealership when I was still in high school, and then be able to communicate with them directly about my intentions to attend a technical program, whether it was going to be UTI, which I actually ended up choosing to go to the community college route and got an associate's degree. And, you know, one of the benefits I felt of that was, uh, you know, you spend, you know, a term in school and then you spend a term at the dealership. And what that does is they give you a curriculum for when you're at the dealership to reinforce the skills and the knowledge that you learned in that term in school. So there's certain things that they would like you to be exposed to when you do that swap from in class to in the shop to reinforce a lot of the theory that you've gone over and just how you apply it to the vehicles that you work on. Because, you know, we talk, people talk about knowledge and wisdom a lot and, you know, you can learn all the book smarts, but until you put it into real world application, you don't really have that wisdom. So that was one of the things that, like I said, I was fortunate that I had a program that focused on those kinds of things, being hands-on. And then also to having technicians at the dealership that I started at who were very interested in my success and, you know, really pushed me beyond just the basics of taking things apart and putting it back together, but to really understand not only how it works, how to repair it properly, but then also how to make sure you're documenting your time, your timestamps, and to have a legible and intelligently written story so that when that goes to warranty, they're like, okay, all the the boxes are checked. We can pay you. Well, and I I think 
that's the kind of stuff that is is so important for a technician, especially in today's world, to be able to understand because it will impact their paycheck. You know, their ability to write up an RO and actually have it be legible and have it, you know, be able, even from the customer pay side, where if you're not putting the detail in there and truly treating it in a professional manner, you're leaving a lot of money on the table and you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're not, you know, not, not to say it's all about money, but I think being able to articulate what you're seeing is, is not easy. It's even for me, it's not easy to, to be able to take what I'm thinking and put it down on paper. So I, I think that skill right off the bat is big. And then, you know, I think it's so cool for me to hear that you had mentors that helped guide you because I, I think that's so impactful in terms of, the success a technician is going to have based on the level that or the willingness that a, a team of technicians that's already in the shop is going to be in terms of bringing that person in and the pride they take because not every shop's that way, right? I, I think right. we've all seen those shops before where it's not the most accommodating place for a new technician. Right. And you know, like, like you were saying with the, the writing up of the story, one of the lessons that was taught to me, and I still apply even now at an independent shop is you know, when you're writing a warranty story, obviously your customer is the manufacturer and they want to know specific details as far as how you might've came to a conclusion and the repairs that you made. And it can get very technical and you use a lot of jargon that not may not be sensible to the customer. So one of the things that was suggested to me by other technicians is you got to strike that balance, you know what I mean? Between making it legible for the manufacturer so you can get paid as far as warranty but then also conveying the value in the in the repair and the expertise in the story to the customer so they can understand. It's especially more important in the independent side because you know dealing with a BMW or a Mercedes or Land Rover or a Jaguar repairs can be expensive. So if you're including enough of that technical information when they know like this takes an experienced person to be able to do this correctly and I feel confident in this repair and they can read that and see that in the way that your shop presents it, it goes a long way for people. I mean, in the age that we live in, everyone has into the details of the things that they purchase. You know what I mean? Everyone researches everything. So when you can give them that same satisfaction when they pick up their car and they read the story of how much effort we put into it, the technical expertise and resources that we needed to repair it, and then ultimately give them back a repaired vehicle, they can see that, you know, when they read their copy of their repair order, you usually end up with a happy customer, even if their repair bill, you know, was two, three, four, five thousand dollars, because they yeah. understand that this was a process and it's not, you know, it's not simple because we get that a lot in our industry. All you, all you have to do is just plug in the computer and it tells you what's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you when you really give them that microscope into this is how it works, it goes a long way. And I think any shop owner would agree with that, especially when you get into higher dollar repairs. They don't want to just know, well, your engine blew up. Well, why did the engine blow up? What happened? What caused the failure? And to, like I said, and to express it in ways that a normal car customer can understand. And, you know, we're not talking about a car enthusiast or a hobbyist. We're talking about someone who just gets in the car, turns the key or pushes the button. They can understand that they got a, val a repair that was valuable and done correctly. So that's something that I've stressed to others that are younger than me and something that I continue to practice today. Well, I think so many technicians yearn for more respect in, you know, we talk about better pay and we talk about all of these different factors 
that go into being represented as a as, as a professional. And I look at that as such an opportunity to show off your skills when you're able to to adequately translate what you're looking at to a customer and and really showcase the skills that you've got. And and when we don't look at it that way and we don't treat an RO in that fashion and it doesn't look professional, and then we wonder why we're not, you know, we're not getting the respect level that we desire. I see I see that as a really good opportunity to to show off your professionalism and show off, you know, how talented you are. Right. And you know, that's one of the things, you know, it's important because all of us want, I guess you could say, a resurgence of the industry. We want this industry to be desirable to new talent. And we want the image of it to change because, you know, as you and I previously discussed, the automotive industry and the tech industry, you almost can't separate anymore. They're almost one and the same now. You have cars that come with Google Play or, you know, Apple Car Drive and, you know, your cell phone now is an integral part of the vehicle experience. So, you know, we have to change that narrative and the perspective of what a technician is so that they can understand that we are highly trained professionals. We do technical work that's on par with someone who's running a machine that builds silicon wafers. You know what I mean? It's the same process a lot of times. You know, you learn the skill, you apply it, and, you know, hopefully that you're successful in in your jobs as you move along as a technician or whatever industry you're in. But the main point is, is to get the image and the viewpoint and the perspective on that same level for our industry because it's fallen behind and we need to get it there because otherwise we're going to continue to lose people who are interested in electronics, mechanical things, hydraulics to other industries. You know, yeah. uh, I was going to say a lot of a lot of the techs that I know have left. They they're now employees for companies like Lamb Research that builds machines. They build the machines that make silicon wafers, and they're here in the Portland area. Another one that's big in poaching technicians in this area is Boeing. I mean, they want, I mean, if you can use a DVOM, Boeing will take you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it, it goes to show how sought after a, a skill set of a technician is, not only in our industry. And, and I think that segues really nicely into really our main focus, our main point of this conversation today, which is to try and understand technicians maybe at a deeper level, right? I think a lot of times we'll go into conversations. One of the things that drives me crazy about our industry is we'll have conversations about technicians from consultants and everybody from all around. Yet a lot of times we leave the technician out of those conversations and it drives me absolutely nuts because you're providing the firsthand experience and, and the exposure to what you see on the shop floor that unless you're out there every single day, uh, you're, you're not going to know all of the, the small ins and outs of what happens out there. So let's dive into this topic a little bit. Let's talk about how we understand a technician in general and really who is today's technician? Who is it that you're surrounded by? One of the things that I always had, had mentioned to a lot of our clients, I still do, is I was always shocked at the amount of technicians that were gamers. You know, I think we we always think like, oh, that technician's going to be an outdoorsman and they're all mm-hmm. like, you know, like their interests are always in cars. And when you take a step back and you isolate technicians and look at them from a personal standpoint, I think you're really surprised on who 
who these people are, right? It's not always that traditional mechanic that we always saw. A lot of technicians have different interests than maybe what traditionally was thought. Right. You know, I mean, in in the time I've been in this industry, I mean, exactly what you're saying. It's a wide range. I mean, I've worked with technicians like very much that are, you know, information technology is their is their hobby outside of work. You know, they are up to date with all the newest technologies that you can think of as far as social media, telecommunications, all of that. And that's what, you know, their interests are. I've worked with other technicians that, you know, I mean, I knew I'm woodworking. Like I knew a guy that, you know, he could go home and take a valuable piece of work and make it into a guitar. You know, a lot of times technicians are creators and builders of other things. Those people make me jealous, by the way, because (laughs) I suck at all that. For me personally, you know, I kind of maybe fall into more of that. I mean, at least when I was younger, I fell into more of that traditional, you know, I worked on cars outside of work. Mainly, you know, my interests have never really been in the high-end market as far as myself personally, but uh, I've, you know, I've been heavily involved in the, you know, restoration and building of, you know, classics and customs and not so much anymore, but now really I focus on motorcycles and I just, you know, just a hobby. I don't do it for, you know, any kind of professional, you know, side work or anything, but I do enjoy riding motorcycles and and working on things. It's actually kind of, to me, refreshing to work on like, I guess you could say technology of the past just to see how simple it was. But then again, also how well it was engineered and to accomplish something that today we're using computers and networks and electronics to accomplish. Yeah, I I agree. I, I found myself and probably more so after I got out of a shop and it took quite a few years. I was kind of burnt out to be frank with you. But once I got past that point and I kind of got the joy back of working on cars and working on equipment and, you know, I end up spending a lot of my time behind a computer screen or on the phone. It, it was such a it's turned into such a cool, almost uh, break for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not on social media. I'm not on on the computer or on my phone it just kind of i'm distanced and it it does a really good job of that but i i what i do have to ask what's your what's your favorite project you've ever worked on so i do have a 1960 ford f100 that i've had since i was about 20 years old oh i'll be 37 next in august so and it's gone from basically your stock farm truck to my goal with it is a like a six a traditional 60s like Watson style custom. That so is cool. Very, very low to the ground, all the bodywork done in lead, you know, very much trying to build it with the type of materials and tools that would have been available in the 60s. Did you do the lead work? Uh, I didn't do the lead work. I like I said, I'm fortunate enough that I had a I have a brother-in-law that that was his career path. He works in a custom shop in Southern California now, and he's one of their lead painters. But he he was fortunate enough to be taught lead work by someone who was taught by Gene Winfield. Wow, I, there's not very many people left that can do any type of lead work. I mean that that is uh, that's an impressive impressive skill set and the fact that you've got it done on your your on your truck I, you got to send me a picture of that because I, I I will geek out over that <laughs> I will so let, let's talk even further about this then let's dive a little deeper so when it comes to understanding technicians I think we, we've established that it is looking at a technician more at a, a, a personal basis and not assuming every technician is the same mm-hmm. and not assuming they all have the same interests is that something that you see starting to to shift in our industry? Are we getting better as an industry at 
at being able to see a technician for who they are and not just grouping them as a whole? Or are we still battling the same stuff that we've battled for decades? Uh, at a certain point, I think it's improved in a little bit in certain ways. And then on the reverse side, we're still battling a lot of the same issues. Because uh, like you said, you know, if you have a technician maybe in their personal life that, you know, they gravitate towards, you know, technology and information, you know, especially here on the on the independent side, you know, we sometimes you have to be really resourceful to get a repair done. You know, <laughs> we may not have some of the tools available that a dealership does, you know, diagnostic software, programming software and things like that. You know, there are technicians that can use aftermarket programs and take a used control module, wipe it, recode it and custom do coding to make the vehicle do different applications. And that, that, that's a skill set that, you know, a shop owner should recognize, especially if, I mean, I would say 90% of the shops out there right now, you're working on vehicles that are probably anywhere from 12 to five years old that are your main customers. And, you know, the ability to have someone that can go in there with a laptop, figure out how to make this computer do what it's supposed to do. Why is it not, you know, that's a, very valuable skill. And that's not something that, like you said, maybe someone who was more traditional would have. They may not have the interest to go beyond, you know, well, I know how to use the diagnostic software, but I don't really know what the coding is doing or what the programming is doing. So if you have someone that has that skill set, I mean, you need to, that's someone that you need to, you know, put a check mark on right there and say, okay, we need to further investigate this and develop. And then so, too, you might oh, sorry, have someone- go ahead. I was going to say, and then too, you might have someone that, you know, you could put an engine in front of them and they have, it's making a noise and, you know, they can have that diagnosed and that engine out and repair done very quickly. You know what I mean? So it's always trying to recognize those skill sets. And luckily, like I told you before, I have a shop owner that very much recognizes those things. He knows if I, you know, if we've got a Mercedes 642 diesel coming in and he needs an oil cooler, you know, so-and-so has done it so many times that can be an in and out job in one and a half days. And then the customers back in their car, and we've saved them a bunch of money over the dealer. One of one of the things I've I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but my dad always talks about how he still feels like there's mechanics and there's technicians, and mm-hmm. that you know we've we've tried to kind of all push toward technician. But he said, you know, he's seen some people that are really good undercar people, right? That they can do anything and do it really really fast, and they're great at it. But when it comes to diagnostics. They just kind of disappear, right? And mm-hmm. and so he always distinguishes it in his head as the mechanic handling the mechanical side, the technician handling more of that, the, the just what you were talking about, right? More of that technical side of diagnostics and maybe even grabbing a, a picoscope or being able right. to to dive into something and be able to understand that. And that to get the combination of the two is a really special person. Like, I, I don't know that there's, I don't want to say they're unicorns, but it does feel more and more each day like there's a, a pretty wide gap between the two. Yeah. You know, and that's that was something that as far as my career path, as, as far as the dealerships that I worked at and manufacturers I was associated with, that's something that they very much strive to do. So it's very uncommon in the Euro field to have like your chassis tech, your brake tech, your transmission guy, you were trained. When you went to a vehicle training, it's complete. You're going to know, they're going to go, one day you're going to go through the engine class, you know, you're going to go through the transmission. And then usually the mechanical stuff went pretty quick. And then the rest of the time you're sitting there talking about CAN networks and most buses and flex ray and all this other stuff. 
but they expected you to be confident to repair from A to Z. If you work at a BMW dealership or an Audi dealership or a Mercedes dealership, there was no all, okay, this is a mechanical suspension problem. Then you ship it off to the chassis guy. There is, that doesn't happen. So is that, obviously is that good for you? What's that? I mean, is that good for you? Do you, do you enjoy that I, part? I do because the exposure is, like I said, you gain, you gain more confidence as far as recognizing a platform and being able to diagnose and repair when, you know, you're exposed to different things. And cause you know, if you get a vehicle and you're the transmission guy and you figure out, okay, they came in for a shutter, but I've determined there's nothing wrong with this transmission. What do you, where do you go? Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, that, like I said, that exposure to multiple systems and figuring out how they work together and being able to repair them and be able to isolate it on the entire vehicle. It, it does take some getting used to, I would say for some people that haven't had to do it. But like I said, just because of the career path that I chose, as far as the manufacturers I was associated with, that was just the norm. So there wasn't really a choice. So it was, you either made it or you didn't. And I think that's a lot of the reason why too, sometimes dealerships, as far as some of your European makes have a harder time finding people. And then also too, why a lot of aftermarket shops usually exclude the the euros from their, their service list. (laughs) It's a, it's an interesting thing. Now I want to kind of dive into a little bit more on you as a person and, and really I think what we're preaching to all these shops is get to know the person and maybe we need to do that here just a little bit. Technicians, are you looking for a new job? Even if you're just casually looking, you need to check out Reverse Job Posts. Reverse Job Posts flips the traditional job board around. Now you can fill out a short questionnaire and let shops reach out to you with job opportunities. No resume needed. The best part is all of your contact information remains anonymous until you are ready to share it. It's a great way to explore new job opportunities, and it's completely free. Download the Wrenchway app in the App Store or on Google Play to try Reverse Job Posts for free. Links to download are in the show notes. So walk me through what drives you. What is it that you, what what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and and go work on cars? Like, what is it that really gets you pumped up about, about your job? You know, like I said, so... I've spent uh, this coming February will be 20 years in the industry. So as far as, you know, new makes and models and the enthusiasm, you know, that I I call it the the road and track mindset. You know what I mean? People who are excited to drive the new car, they want to know all the details and specs. And, you know, that's not normally what drives me. Horsepower numbers, zero to sixties. I mean, it's like, you know, whatever. But for me, it's like, okay, uh, I know I know that we've come a long way in CAN networks. Okay, are we still using a traditional PT CAN on this on this new vehicle, or is it communicate? Are are we now using you know FlexRay technology for the CAN network, or this and that? You know, knowing the the inside details of the vehicle and how it works. For me, like I said, it's it's being a it's being it's being informed so I can refine my skill set, and because that's what really drives me is that. I have a valuable skill set and I want to know and and I want to know as much as I can, but I also want to be as good at as applying it as I can be. So my drive every morning is how am I going to improve on my performance from yesterday? And 
when I see this particular issue again, what are the key things that I need to know to see it again? And when I see it again, and so that's what now as, as far as, you know, what drives me to get up in the morning, it's like I said, it's not so much that enthusiast mindset of, I like being around cars. It's, you know, there's a complex issue here and it's here because other people couldn't figure it out. And now they're, now it's in front of me and I'm, I'm pretty much this person's last hope where they're going to give up on the car. I think that's a similar trait amongst great technicians is that just what you said right there is being able to fix something that others can't and, and being able to take pride in, in always learning and always getting better. I'm curious as to where you look for those opportunities. Where are you finding this information of what you should be learning? And then where are you actually going to learn the information? So my, the shop that I work for, we do subscribe directly to use cloud network as well as Mercedes Benz clouds network. So what that also gives us is, you know, we may not get the, uh, the in-class portion of their vehicle training, but all the manuals are there for all the new vehicles. I mean, we're talking, I mean, what's being sold in the dealership right now, I can log into my aftermarket BMW login and have the training for, you know, the brand new, whatever is on the show. I can have the manual right in front of me. So I can go through there and as best as possible, inform myself on that vehicle. We also do, we use LMV quite extensively and they have a lot of training videos and they have a lot of webinars where they get people like me all together and we'll go over a system like I did one last summer was for the the new, it's it's a system built by Continental and a lot of the European makes are using it. It's the, they call it the mild hybrid 48 volt system. And this is a, this is brand new. It's on brand new cars and we're going over it for the aftermarket. So, so when you do start to see these vehicles, you never, you, cause you never may know if you're driving a BMW and you could be, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Montana, and there's no BMW dealership in Montana, but you know, there may be a Euro shop there and they just happen to like, oh yeah, you lost the belt on your starter motor generator. We've actually gone over the training for that. So we can get that fixed for you. Getting the parts might be a different issue, but <laughs> someone, like I said, if you take advantage of those resources, you're, you're going to at least know what's out there, what's the newest, and it's not going to be foreign to you. So then that takes away some of that apprehension of, you know, do I want to work on these vehicles at my facility or can I find, you know, can I find information? You know, it, it's an investment, you know, information isn't free and you have to, and you have to see the value in it. And, you know, if you, if you, if you can apply that information and you can start bringing in some of those vehicles and, you know, making it profitable, you know, I would say that, you know, some of those, some of those aftermarket subscriptions to the, to the directly to the manufacturers are definitely worth the investment. You know, it's not a small sum of money, but the benefits pay off because, you know, we can, at our shop, we can order a brand new ME from Mercedes and program it directly from Mercedes cloud. You don't have to worry about software being, you know, corrupted because it's coming from an aftermarket source or any of that. This week's episode of Beyond the Wrench is brought to us by RepairPal. RepairPal connects consumers with certified trustworthy repair shops. RepairPal's network of over 2,700 shops nationwide undergo a rigorous certification process to ensure they are high quality. If you're interested in working or getting your car serviced at a trusted shop in RepairPal's certified shop network, 
Check out their directory of auto shops at repairpail.com. How do you prioritize when you look at training? I know this morning was looking at WorldPack had sent out a, a training email and I was going through their training. Actually, I was looking at it last night. And when I'm looking through it, I'm like, man, there is a lot of classes and a lot of information there in being able to understand like, okay, which one of these is going to be most beneficial? Because there's a lot of information there. A lot of their classes are, are free, like kind mm-hmm. of over lunch type of classes. And I think they're an excellent resource. And I know there's a variety of, of, of different content developers or training resources that you can use. And I, I just use WorldPack because it, it just had come through in my email. But looking at those, I'm like, if I'm putting myself in a tech shoes, I'm somewhat overwhelmed right now because you start throwing in the EVs and the hybrids and, yeah. you know, everything. And it, it could, I can see where that would be a real, real problem in trying to prioritize what training to actually take. Yeah. So for myself personally, especially like when I started at MBI, my background was heavily BMW. So one of the classes that I specifically, my shop foreman and I both had an interest in for, for myself was just the, the, the Mercedes-Benz powertrain class through Worldpack. So I could just get, you know, get all the basics of, you know, the four cylinder, the, the V6, their diesel motor. So I could just be more familiar with it when I looked under the hood. And it was beneficial. You know, the instructor that we had, I was fortunate enough that, you know, that class was before COVID. So we got to do it in person <laughs> and it, it was very informative because, you know, Mercedes has, you know, BMW only does V12s and V8s. Everything else is either straight four or straight six. So I started seeing a lot more V6s when I started working on Mercedes and it just helps you like, you know, where do you traditionally look for the timing marks on a Mercedes V6 or, or this and that? Cause it's very different than working on a BMW. So that was a class that was very beneficial just because of my lack of familiarity with Mercedes powertrains when I first started with MBI. So, you know, it's, again, that's one of those things too, where if you hire a technician, you know, and maybe they have certain experience with one manufacturer, you ask them that question. Hey, what do you need to know as far as these vehicles so that we can be comfortable and you're comfortable for us just dispatching you, whatever, you know, like that's exactly what they did with me. They knew they hired me for my BMW experience, but then they were, they said to me and asked me, what do you want to know about Mercedes so that we can just give you whatever ticket comes in the door? That's cool. I Do you think that's going to drive more specialization in our industry in general? I believe it will because, you know, if you have a shop that you just take in everything, you know, some of those things just aren't feasible. I mean, if you work on every make and model, you cannot subscribe to every manufacturer's aftermarket program because you're talking programs that are from anywhere from $5,000 to $30,000 a year. And it's just not feasible. So I, I definitely think it is going to become a more specialized industry, especially when you're dealing, especially with the Euro stuff. Like you have a lot of commonality among the Euro makes. You can see some of the philosophy is the same. You can even put a Mercedes, a BMW, an Audi, and Porsche up in the air, and they'll have some of the same parts. You know what I mean? And it's, I, you know, it's the same with the Japanese manufacturers, the American manufacturers. So I do believe that it will, you know, depending on your choices and manufacturers that of you're working on, it will become more specialized. And as far as even in our area, it's very much that way. You know, you have your, if you're talking about a general repair shop in our area, as far as automotive, you know, there are, those are usually your places that take in American and Japanese and Korean makes. And then, I mean, in the, where I work here in Southeast Portland, there's a few shops down the street from us 
And it's not uncommon that they'll get a Mercedes or a BMW, they'll get it written up, and then it's just driven right to us. <laughs> I, I, I've seen that more and more myself. And I want to ask you one more question about the future of the industry, and then we'll dive into maybe some of the pain points of the industry that you and I have discussed before. With the future of the industry, is there any worry that the work will go away or be lessened dramatically? Or are you in the camp that, hey, there's always going to be repairs. It's just going to be adapting to a different type of repair. I, I definitely believe there will always be repairs. I think anyone that has spent enough time in the industry and you see where the, not just the automotive industry is going, but just the consumer products in general, you know, we're, we're, we're in the twilight of the internal combustion engine. We really are. I mean, you're talking about as far as, you know, improvements in efficiency, you're talking about a technology that's been around for over a hundred years. Yeah. And so we're in the twilight. I mean, Mercedes announced last year, you know, there's no more V8s after the S580 and, uh, you know, BMW as well. They're going to continue to have a mix of combustion engines and electric, but everything as I mean, just look at the, the political announcement from the, from Germany. All new vehicles will be electric by 2025. If you're going to go buy a new vehicle in Germany, it's mainly going to be electric by 2025. So it's going to be one of those adapting because just because the technology has changed and, you know, if you haven't worked on electric vehicles, I'm here to tell you, they break. (laughs) It's not not a, it's not a, oh, I have an electric vehicle. I'm never going to have to do anything. So it's an adaption of, of your skill set. Not only do they uh, we, break, they, the average repair order is pretty significantly yeah. higher, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're ha- we are servicing, you know, right now we service quite a few of the BMW i3s and, you know, they still have maintenance requirements. They still have hydraulic brake systems. The batteries are still cooled by coolant that's ethylene glycol based. Like it's not a, it's not. I guess you could say this hands-off, I don't need to do anything product, maybe that the manufacturers are trying to portray it as, you know what I mean? Because they're trying to get people interested. But at the same time, you know, you need to be ready for the fact that when one of these vehicles comes in, like, do I have a high voltage problem? Do I have a 12 volt problem? You know what I mean? And you you do need to, to know those things. Like a BMW i3, if you have one with a range extender, which is just a generator, it doesn't actually propel the engine, your vehicle will be completely dead, like no ignition, no nothing. If the 12, the regular 12 volt battery goes bad. Really? So if you have a dead 12 volt battery, you have a completely Im- immobile electric vehicle. <laughs> it's this kind of stuff that I'm, I, you know, I'm very much in the middle. I, I love cars in general. I I love internal combustion engines. I love the history of it. I am fascinated by where we're moving as an industry because I do think with the shift, it's going to change the way that a technician is looked at in general, right? And so when we look at it, and, and I think there's always opportunity in change and this is no different than that. I, I, it's bittersweet to me because all the cars we grew up loving, that F one hundred you got, it just mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff that you're like, man, I'm gonna miss that stuff. But at the yeah. same time, for the good of our industry, I do think there's a huge opportunity for us to improve, right? And right. that that kind of brings me to the next topic, which is something we talked a little bit about, but understanding 
maybe what's not great about the industry. And I think anybody can go out to a Facebook message board and see the posts that are out there. And I think a lot of times they're pretty negative, right? I, like I don't think yeah. the, you don't see a whole lot of text going out there and, and just blasting off about how much they love their job today. It's it's typically something fairly negative in, in, in context. I'm curious, just from your standpoint, what are some, what's some low-hanging fruit of things that we could change about this industry to make it more appealing for a technician? And a technician like you, a technician that's just starting out, what are, what are some things that we need to change in order to make this a really, really great place to, to be? You know, that's something that I've discussed intensively with a lot of different people from a lot of different, I guess you could say, positions in the industry. Myself, personally, you know, depending on where you're at in the industry, if high end or or you know a japanese make or your domestics we all know what the big elephant in the room is and it's flat rate and you know for especially for you know if you have a technician that you're not getting the services because you're the experienced person you're getting this car came in dead battery battery is just replaced we have no communication on this network it's going to you because you've been here this many years and you, we know you can fix it. And, you know, it's a discouraging factor when you have that skill set where, you know, I can take that vehicle, figure out what's going wrong with it and get it back on the road. And it's a very complex process. You know, first thing you got to do is you get it in there you confirm the problem. You know what I mean? And then you hook up the scan tool and let's say you've got no data communication, none at all. And then what are you going to do? Then you're starting to look at, okay, where's my power to my data link connector? Do I have power? All that. So it's a very, very technical process. And it's discouraging when you have to look at the clock because, you know, if you go over, like, if you go over a certain amount of diagnostic on a warranty repair, there's that a certain point where the manufacturer stops paying until you sit there on the computer and say, I'm, I'm writing this service ticket. This is where I'm at in my service process, you know, getting an engineer involved. And, you know, that's not some, that's something that's very unique to our industry. You know what I mean? No one would feel comfortable getting on a plane, you know, when you have technicians that are paid on an efficiency-based scale to get it out as quickly as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people are going to say, yeah, no, I'm not, I don't want to get on that plane just because that guy can replace that engine or get this net electrical working in, you know, two hours. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's something that's very still unique to our industry. And do am I saying that in every application, flat light is wrong? No, because there are certain parts of the industry where it's still very viable. Like if, if you have a technician who is your heavy line guy and he can get an engine transmission out, put it back together and he can beat the time every time. Yeah, he probably doesn't want to be on a salary. But if you have technicians that their core for you is diagnostic. And it's going to be those problems, like I said, it's the customer that we've been to the dealer, they didn't figure it out, or I can't afford for them to figure it out. I'm coming to you or else I'm lost. I'm just going to get rid of this car. And that's something like in our shop where we have that mix. We have guys that they want to be on flat rate because they're good at the, I can get this car out, the cylinder head off back in it, and I can beat that time. And then we have other people you know, that might have a different pay plan. And you know, it's more of a salary base with some efficiency because we can give them the, the problems that, you know, might take a lot more sitting there with a manual 
and a, and a wiring diagram. And this is going to really take some time and dedication and you're tearing into, you know, different spots in the vehicle to find ground points and, you know, twisted, you know, a broken twisted pair, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people need to start seeing that you need to change some of that tradition. It almost feels like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but feels like the general perception is that we punish our best. Yeah. Being good. Right. Like if you're good at diagnostics and you're on flat rate, it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard to make money on diagnostic. It is, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of stubbornness behind the flat rate here in the United States, especially when you're coming from the, with the, the large dealer networks and stuff. The last, the last two week intense vehicle training I did was Jaguar Land Rover fast track. And when you're sitting in the class with an instructor who represents the manufacturer, and he's telling you that the time guide is no longer applicable for a reason to pay the technician. These are just numbers that we come up with for basically the warranty accounting, but we don't consider these times to be a viable way to pay you anymore. And you go back to the dealership and they're paying you from that time guide. Do you, th- do you think there's common ground to be had there? Because, you know, I I talk to the other side and I talk to technicians and we always say here at Wrenchway, we're kind of Switzerland, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what kind of shop. It doesn't matter technician or owner, manager, whoever it is. We want to get everybody in the same room and, and talk about these things because I think in order to move forward, we've, we've got to kind of get this stuff out on the table. But I'm curious from a technician standpoint, if one, you can kind of see where management comes from and how they're charging for that. But then two, is there common ground to be had there? Is there something where we get people in a room and we talk about this and we say, okay, let's start with diagnostics. What can we do to do this better? You know, and and what can we do to make sure that we're being paid for our time appropriately? Do you think there is common ground to be had there? I do think there is. Like I said, it's that you know, one of the things that BMW started doing, probably I would say it's it started coming around in probably 2013, 2014, is you had your diagnostic team and you had a repair team. And then so it would go in, the vehicle would go in, it'd get diagnostic, you you would get a confirmed repair, maybe parts ordered, and then it would go to the repair technician. Now, is that model, you know, perfect? No. And did that model at the dealerships include any type of salary? Usually not. But those are still some things that could be adapted uh, in the aftermarket. And I think even now, a, a lot of dealerships and, and I guess you could say dealer networks are open to more of a hybrid compensation system as far as directly related to the vehicles because of the sheer lack of talent in the industry. Like you said, there has to be a balancing point. If you're going to stick your guns on one side and say, hey, we're a flat rate shop only, we will always be, I don't care what the manufacturer says, you'll probably end up in the next five to 10 years with a shop with almost no one working there. And I, I think that's, that's the big concern from a management standpoint, right? Yeah. And not, not just management in general. I, I think there's a lot that, you know, from, from my standpoint, there's a lot of concern with, with the folks, not just leaving a technician, not just leaving your shop to go to another shop, but leaving your shop to go to yeah. Boeing. Because that that's a that's a huge issue right now. We're seeing it all over the place, and yeah. in some cases, I can't say as if I I blame the technician. Right. In most cases, the people that I've worked with in the industry, when they left, it it wasn't for another shop. They've left the industry. 
or have gone to a different portion of the industry. The other thing too, that I think some of the other shops and some of your more traditional dealer franchises need to look into as far as a model is something I had mentioned to you earlier, because right now they're a big grab for technicians and that is your strictly EV companies, the Rivians, the Lucids, Tesla, you know, we don't I, need that. We don't need to, we don't need to, I guess you could say butt heads too much, but you know, one of the things that they have the advantage of is every single one of those shops and facilities is manufacturer owned. And that's a huge benefit from someone when you have mainly the technical background. <laughs> I, so I, I agree. And I'm fascinated by that. I have heard from some that have gone to EV companies and maybe felt like it wasn't everything that they, they claimed it was once they got yeah. there. Yeah. But it is a huge concern because I think what, what happens is they're looking at it through the lens of a tech company. They're a tech company yeah. that happens to sell cars, right? And right. when you start going up against tech companies, it's, again, it's a different type of competition than what we're right. used to. And it's something different. And And I think at some level, I think that might just be what technicians are looking for is just something different. And that's where our shops need to make sure that we're on the ball with this. We need to make sure that, you know, similar to what you're doing and keeping your technical skill in check, we need to be from a shop management standpoint, staying at the forefront of that so that we know how to treat a technician and we know what type of competition is out there. Because I think in a lot of ways, if you sit in, if you sit on your hands right now and just say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to go in, as a manager, I'm going to check the box that I was here today, and I, you know, just kind of went through my normal daily putting out fires. You're going to get you're, you're going to get yourself behind the eight ball pretty darn quick, right? You know, and another thing that comes up a lot in the industry, as far as I guess you could say, the driving factors of why technicians leave, unfortunately, is a lot of times your benefits package, and I'm not specifically even talking about your pay rate or your your pay plan, but it's knowing that you're going to have, you know, you're putting in a lot of time and effort into your job. And one of the things that a, an employee who values the, his employer is that it's that, that reciprocation, you know, I'm putting in the effort, they're investing in me. And, you know, I've worked for some large dealer networks and it was, you know, no 401k match. I'm not talking mom and pop shop. I'm talking dealerships that are billion dollar corporations. And it's, zero to no 401k match, basically self-funded health insurance. And, you know, those are things that even young people think about now when they're taking a job, you know, kids are well, like your normal high school graduate is way more informed about finances, investing, and how to make money. You know what I mean? As they they should be. All they need to do is have one of these and they know they can make money. Well, I, I think you hit on so many good points there. And I think as a whole, we just, and I say this a lot in the content that we do, we put ourselves in a big hole as an industry. We've we've been behind for a long time, especially when you look at us compared to other trades and what we charge at a door rate, you know, what our effective labor rates are, you know, not not being able to produce the amount of income that's going to be able to take care of our people. And and I, I had just recently done another podcast that's going to be released. And what our guest said was that in order to – basically, she had gone out to a shop and said, listen, I don't know. It was funny. She didn't have any car background. And she came out and she was like, my job is to make you guys more money and make you as an individual more money. 
And, you know, I don't know anything about cars. I know that I'm good at process and I'm good at business and I need to make you more money. And I thought that was so refreshing to hear. Like it was just a, like a different, like she was going directly out to the team and saying, mm-hmm. you know, if when you guys do better, we do better as a business. We just need to take care of you. And I thought that that level of transparency and that level of just candidness where you go out and, and you're not, it's not the elephant in the room. It's not, it's literally, I'm going to go out, I'm going to talk to these techs and I'm going to hit it right on the head. My job is to make you more money. And we shouldn't feel bad about that. We shouldn't, you know, we, we need to be paid as the incredibly talented professionals that we are in these shops. And as managers and as, as owners of businesses, your job is to make them money. And, and their job is to then put out the work so that you can create more of those benefits and you can, you know, create this kind of ecosystem that's going to help you take care of your people. And right. if we don't do that, and if we don't kind of, if we don't take that profitability very, very seriously, both from the shop side and the technician side, it's going to be a long road to hoe here. Yeah. You, you used the right word there when you just said it's that ecosystem. You know what I mean? A lot of times, especially in that dealer environment, you have, you know, your, your, your front end, you have the, you have your front end of the service department, you have your sales department and you have the shop and they're often viewed as different elements instead of, like you said, instead of a cohesive environment that works together. And as far as like, you know, uh, just, you know, in conclusion on, on a lot of this, especially for the dealer environment, if you can get rid of that and, and, and cultivate a culture where you're all working together and there's no difference in the professionalism in your salesman, as far as the importance to your technician, it's going to go a long way. It's going to go a long way because from someone that's worked at, you know, a few of your dealerships and all of them being high end, selling very expensive products, it still had that, you know, suit and tie in the front, grease monkey in the rear. You know what I mean? And that's how you got treated. And that's one thing as far as, especially with younger people, you know, they're not going to, a lot of young people don't put up with that kind of treatment. You know, I'm a professional. I, I deserve the same respect and the same, you know, opportunities as, you know, the salesman selling the $100,000 car as the person, you know, servicing the $100,000 car. Yeah. And so that's one thing that, and it, it really doesn't cost any money to do that, to make an inclusive environment. Like you're saying, like, Stop looking at it as, you know, look at it as the whole, you know what I mean? Well, and I I give Tesla credit for pushing the envelope on this. And then I give Ford actually credit here recently. A lot of dealers are going to hate to hear this because I think when Ford came out with the dual dealer model where you've got the EV model and you've got the traditional model and they kind of said, hey, listen, if you want to be on this EV side, you're going to have to play by our rules. And I think... When you look at that, even the threat of direct-to-consumer from a manufacturer, where does the dealer's value come from, right? It's from the the back end of the shop because that's stuff that the manufacturers really can't do or don't want to do. And so when you're looking at your value of what you bring to a manufacturer, that's heavily reliant on the back end of it. And Mm -hmm. I, I think dealers are starting to wake up to this. I know... There's a lot more fixed ops directors, or not fixed ops directors. There's a lot more GMs coming from the fixed ops world. I think our our industry is evolving, and I think that's one thing 
sometimes I'm probably too critical of our industry in that in that capacity where I would say in the last year or two, I've started to see significant shifts in the what companies are doing to make their, their technicians happy. And it's becoming something where they're actually doing stuff, not just saying that they appreciate their people, but actually doing right. stuff that shows it. And so hopefully the shift is coming. I think the more types of conversations that you and I can have like this and that our industry can have like this and really kind of come together as one and say, okay, whether you're independent, whether you're a dealer, it doesn't matter. Let's make this better for everybody. And right. I think a lot of the stuff that you've said today kind of hits directly on the bullseye in terms of what some of the stuff we have to do to, to really kind of shift our thinking and change. Yeah. I mean, cause if you break it down to the very basics, you know, this, what we're trying to accomplish is to make this industry competitive at the same level as someone who would be interested in working for Apple or Google or, you know, Rivian or Tesla, you know, we need to bring the traditional automotive field up to that game to be competitive with them because we're really after the same people. You're after the same people. You're after the people who are, who are, have that engineer mindset, the fixing mindset, those that crave just the knowledge of how things work. And those companies are doing a better job at, at grabbing up those people. And you're talking about, you know, kids that are coming out of high school that, you know, if you made our industry and the education process just as desirable as someone who's wanting to go and develop apps for Google or whatever, you know, we're going to, this is, it's going to change the market because you're going to be pulling in that talent, you know, that is really revolutionizing some of that, those industries. And that's the kind of basically new blood that we need in the traditional side of the automotive industry. Because like I said before, there's not a lot that really separates us from the tech field anymore. Pretty much the last part of that is the internal combustion engine. And like I said, that's we're in the twilight. So right now is when we need to start laying that foundation of like, this is a viable industry for people interested in tech industry. It's crazy how much this is starting to shift. And I think for me, the more we can get voices like yours out there and talking about this and and really dissecting what some of the issues are in our industry. Look, there, our industry is not perfect. There's not an industry out there that is. But the more we can really drive for Im improvement and the more we can have the voices of technicians out there talking about, hey, this is what we got to do to keep up. This is what we got to do to keep up. The more we can do this, I think the more we get people rowing in the same direction. So I appreciate you taking some time out of your day today, joining me to talk about a, a few pretty cool things and and some things that I, I think we've got to we've got to work on. And so I, I hope we stay in touch, and I hope we get you back on some some other podcasts or some roundtables that we do because I think you spoke very well from the, the from the seat of a technician and that's what we need more of in this industry is more of that insight and 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 really the boots on the ground feedback to improve this thing i appreciate it i enjoyed it as well all right we'll we'll get you back on we'll put maybe some contact information in the show notes but love to have you back on again appreciate your time all right thanks jay